Pure Dog Talk is the voice of purebred dogs. We talk to the legends of the sport and give you the tips and tools to create an awesome life with your purebred dog. From showing to preservation breeding, from competitive obedience to field work, from agility to therapy dogs, and all the fun in between, your passion is our purpose. All right, folks. 2020 has, to put it mildly, presented some challenges for all of us. You know, the good news, our patrons' numbers are still growing, almost daily. I truly, truly cannot thank all of you enough for your support. It's been overwhelming. And for those of you who've had to reassess your budgets, please know, I totally get it. And I will always be grateful for your belief in this program and the power of great content. Like the NPR of dogdom, Pure Dog Talk is here for you every day to make sense out of everyday things, to add nuance to your understanding and tools to your tack box, to bring history to life and propel the living history of purebred dogs into the future. Our patrons make all of this possible. The funds are specifically designated only for overhead. They literally keep the MP3s rolling. Meanwhile, the patrons-only After Dark Facebook Live and Zoom meetings each month truly have been a fabulous success. Conversation, support, laughter, some education, some mentorship, lots of encouragement, and even, randomly, the occasional adult beverage. So click the link at www.puredogtalk.com and become a patron today. Your small contribution helps make a huge voice for purebred dogs. Welcome to Pure Dog Talk. I am your host, Laura Reeves, and I'm excited about this conversation today for a lot of reasons. First of all, I have two guests, Carly and Cameron Simpson who are former retired junior showmanship handlers in the Northwest, kids I knew when they were showing in juniors. I'm not entirely sure one of y'all's friends dated one of my assistants sort of thing. (laughs) Oh, you're going to have to share that story. I don't know that story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my point being, these are two young women I've known for a very long time and I've watched grow up and have a lot of respect for what they've accomplished And in conversation, Cameron and I actually discussed how much the junior showmanship and how much the time working with dogs and all of those pieces impact your lives as successful women with successful careers. And it's very powerful. And I really want to share that with people because it has so much impact on all of us, the kids that are in juniors that will go on and maybe they're not going to be professional dog handlers. And here you two are doing amazingly good work. So welcome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having us. Yeah, this is fun. It is. You know what? This is the best job ever. (laughs) Except for, I don't know, (laughs) Carly's got a pretty cool job. So let's do this. Why don't you guys, one at a time, introduce yourselves. Give us a little 411, your background. You can divide that up as you like, what you did as a kid and what you're doing now. So who wants to start? Cameron, you start. Okay, sure. Laura, as you were saying, there's just so many definitive moments in our lives that were really a 
turning point for me in who I've become. Just simply growing up on a farm when we were young. So we had about 10 to 20 dogs at any given time. And those responsibilities are endless. And we're just a family of two kids and my mom and my stepdad. You know, mom and stepdad work all day, work all night. And Carly and I go to school at the end of the day. We've got to come home and take care of those animals. There's no other option. So really the work ethic and the loyalty and determination and consistency, it all came out from having these animals and having to take care of them and knowing that they depend on you. There's no option to not take care of them at the end of the day. Right. Having that as a child, I knew it was different than any other kid. You know, every other kid goes to soccer and they play games and they go to each other's houses at the end of the school day. We couldn't do any of that. You know, I mean, we had fun, but it was with animals. You know, I was, I was riding my bicycles around with dogs and llamas, not hanging out with neighbor kids. I mean, all that sort of stuff is to just say that it taught us our work ethic. Right. And still to this day, it's very noticeable in my work environment that I definitely work a lot harder and I take my job very seriously. Anything I do, I put in 100%. And I think that that is so true. I mean, all of us who start in dogs, whether you end up in dogs or somewhere else, you always have that work ethic. You always have that and timeliness. So Carly, I want you to talk a little bit and tell us a little bit what you're doing right now. And how does the fact that five minutes late is too late have bearing on your career today? Yeah, that's a great question. So currently I produce television. I'm an executive producer. Just finished up with a Netflix series. And you're right. Timeliness is like, I feel it every day in my work. And literally, we are starting on time. And it's thousands of dollars every minute we go over, you know, or tens of thousands of dollars it can be. So the importance of being at a ring at 8am, because you know that that judge is not going to wait for you, has directly translated into you know, my job today, among many other things, but timeliness has definitely been something that I, it is what it is. It's like, you gotta, you gotta be there. You gotta be there on time. You gotta be there on time. There's no question about that. And so tell us a little bit, I know both of you guys were very successful. I can remember watching you give us some, for examples of, I was competing at a very high level then, and that drive has got to apply to your job today. Carly? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I was in juniors, I worked for a number of handlers. And I remember I was discussing this a while ago with my mom. I would put post-it notes on my mirror in my bedroom, in my childhood bedroom. And one of those goals that I had written was to win the garden. And she was like, oh my gosh, like what a goal. Why are you setting that? Although she didn't ever discourage it. She just thought, wow, that's a lofty goal. Right. And I worked my butt off every little step to try to get to that goal. That goal was always in the back of my mind through everything I did growing up and working with dogs. And the path was all over the place. I didn't win the garden, but the fact that I made the finals at the garden, the fact that I got third was a cherry on top, you know, that to me was winning. And definitely to this day, when you learn to work at such a high level in a competition like dog sports, 
and it directly translates then into your later life. You want to always achieve that high level of success again. Right. Yep. You're always working towards, can I get there? Can I get to that highest level that I was at? I was kind of feeling like, wow, I'm just riding cloud nine here. You know, at age 18, I felt like, wow, I've touched something so special. And I wanted that again for myself in my career. I wanted that feeling of really knowing something so well and being able to achieve such great accomplishments. And I feel like to this day, I still set those goals. I still work to achieve the highest level of success in whatever I'm doing, whatever show I'm on. And that's rooted, that's hardcore rooted in juniors and competing in dogs. Absolutely. And Cameron, I want you to talk a little bit because you work in a very male dominated industry. You're like the only woman really, I think you said at your level. And I would like you to make the comparison from I was an amateur competing with professionals to now, once again, I'm in a mismatch. And just talk about that of confidence that it takes to do that. Yeah. I mean, for me, I had a very different experience than my sister growing up. I lived a lot in her shadow. Carly is a goal setter and she goes and works really hard. She studies really hard. She practices. I fell asleep every night to her playing piccolo and flute. And I didn't do any of those things. I just looked at her and was like, that's exhausting. And so I kind of did a different route. I felt like I had the skills. I was well-rounded and I'm going to do the same things she did, but I'm just going to do it a little bit easier. And that set me up for a lot of disappointment, actually, pretty early on in life. I kind of thought, Maybe I can do the same things that Carly did, but not work as hard at them. Maybe I can go work for a professional handler down in Southern California. And I was invited to work for a professional handler in California. I was really excited about it. It was my senior year in high school. I was getting ready to go kind of fly out of the coop for the first time, go to these dog shows, sunny weather, like it was all looking up for me. And then a few days before I went, the professional handler canceled on me and I was devastated. Similarly, Carly won a dog show that was a Yukonuba invite dog show. She won Best Junior and was invited to go to San Antonio. And I thought, gosh, that's really cool. There's really no other way I'm going to end up getting to San Antonio besides winning this show. So next year, I set out to win that same show. And I won it. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to San Antonio. And then they were like, oh, no, this year we didn't do that. And I was just like, well, crap, you know. And so my ideology early on was don't have expectations and don't get super excited about something because you can only be that disappointed when it doesn't happen. And so I kind of have this like little bit of jade about me, but that's really helped me move forward in, as you say, this career where it is very uncomfortable to be the only woman standing in the room. And it's even more uncomfortable to be the only woman standing in the room who knows more than all of the men in the room. (laughs) (laughs) And it only takes that little bit, just that break of ice before everybody else in the room is like, oh, okay, yeah, we see you as a human. You know, we see you as a person and as an advisor and as an employee, as a helper. And so really all of that has been from dog shows. It's been from just kind of having that, maybe I don't belong here, but I'm going to try anyways, or 
I'm going to observe and adapt the situation to win, you know, and then that was something that my mom always taught us. She has this quote that lives with me every day, which is life is a game, play it. And I think I took that to the max, especially with juniors. If there was a judge who was very eccentric and I could tell that you could win by doing A, B, or C, I would do that. There was an example that a judge who wanted you to look at her every three seconds. I mean, going down and back on the way down, she wants you to turn all the way back and look at her. Ridiculous. I did it. I tripped and fell and I won. So it was things like that. That was like, I would never show a dog like that. That's not my style, but that was the game right then. And that was the game to win. So, I mean, things like that, for sure, every day I relate back to my industry. And my industry is the bicycle industry. So, Right. That's what I was, tell people what you do, because it's really cool. Yeah. So I work in the bicycle industry. I started by working in a bike shop called Davidson, and he manufactures bicycles, one of the oldest U.S. manufacturers. And I learned all of the ins and outs on how to build a bicycle. And then from there, I went on to making carbon fiber bicycle wheels, again, in manufacturing and doing hands-on building. After that, I led the sales department for one of the largest component manufacturers. I led the North and South American continent for sales. And then now I'm working for a company called Velofix, and we are the largest mobile bicycle shop fleet in the country. We have over 100 locations. I purchase for our corporate-owned trucks, so dozens of different trucks in different states moving around different inventory, and I've got to supply every single one of those technicians with everything on the truck. But I think, again, this still relates back because you started picking up poopy. You started at the bottom, and you worked your way to the top, and that same desire to learn a business from the ground up is what's making you successful at this level as a very young woman. Yeah, I mean, it helps that both Carly and I are strong enough to realize that we have to love what we do. In order for us to put the energy into what we do, we have to love it. And so both of us really took that to heart early on and said, you know, I can't sit at an office and do this X, Y, Z job. I have to go out and get a job that is going to push me, that's going to teach me, that's ever-changing, that's growing, that has a ton of demand. And that's what we both did. I mean, both of us found very unique jobs. In very competitive industries. I mean, nobody's going to say Hollywood's easy. So, (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, riding a bike is somewhat easy. Well, no, I can't ride a bike, so I'm not going to go with that. (laughs) Carly, talk to us about that. Spin off what Cameron was just talking about and apply that to what you're doing. Because Again, one of the most single, most competitive industries out there. And it's that start at the bottom and work your way up. It is. Absolutely start at the bottom. I set out when I was still showing dogs that I wanted to do something in television. I was probably 17, 18 years old. I don't know, Cameron, if you remember when I started thinking about it. I can't remember. I was in my teens for sure. I was still showing dogs. And I knew that my mom really wanted me to go to college and I wanted to study everything I could about television. But ultimately, I used actually my contacts from the dog world to launch me into it, which is incredible now looking back. But David Fry was one of my mentors and he was the first person that gave me a shot. I interned for him when I was in college and 
I worked from the bottom. I was his assistant. I did anything he needed. I went to the garden those first couple years when I was in college and was just like his right hand. I would go and greet people in the crowd, including Donald Trump and all sorts of crazy stuff. We would go to the morning show circuit the day after Best in Show. Such a fun job. But at the same time, like I knew that I was going to start at the bare minimum. I wasn't just going to become a producer. Although at that time, I thought I wanted to be David Fry. I want to be on camera. So I thought, let me go down that path and see where that takes me. But ultimately, I think it's so important to know that your path isn't going to be what you expect it to be. And we learned a lot about that in dogs through the disappointment Cameron talked about. You know, we all suffer those disappointments. We all suffer the no's or the losses. And you continue to have those in real life. Right. I had to struggle. I went back after college. Luckily, I got to go back to the U.S. Tennis Open to become a production assistant. That was my first real hardcore job. And I was still in college doing it. But it was a direct reason from David Fry at USA Network. Mm -hmm. And the Tennis Open was on USA Network. Mm -hmm. So I went to the U.S. Tennis Open, met those guys. And I would actually meet my future boss there. He was one of the senior producers of the U.S. Tennis Open, and we hit it off. I kept in contact with all those guys, kept up my relationships. That was a huge part. That's a huge part of my industry, of every industry, of connecting, of making relationships, building relationships, keeping those relationships, cultivating them. And I went back to Seattle after the U.S. Tennis Open, and I graduated college, and I was like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? I don't know any... What job am I going to get in Seattle? I remember taking a radio promo job for a while, and it was like my worst nightmare. I hated it. It was just like I didn't want to do it at all. And then I got a call from that senior producer on the U.S. Tennis Open. He's like, look, I don't have the perfect job for you, but I have a job. It's in New York City. Would you want to do it? And I was like, well, what's the job? And he's like, it's my assistant, an executive assistant role. And I was like, yes, sign me up. It's a foot in the door. I know if I get my foot in the door, I can work my way up. And so you got to start from the bottom, just like we did scooping poo, like for handlers, for our own kennel at the farm. You start from the bottom. You do as much work as you possibly can. You learn as much as you possibly can on the way up. And you hope that all of those steps will help get you to the next big step. And you're going to have lots of no's along the way. Hang tight, guys. Got a little bit of information for you. We'll be right back to the podcast in a minute. Embark is a proud sponsor of Pure Dog Talk. DNA testing is rapidly growing amongst breeders. And given the importance of these test results to the health of not only each dog, but also that of future generations of dogs. At Embark, they believe it's critical to provide transparency in their testing methods that result in more than 99.99% accuracy for health tests. Embark's innovative testing platform enables the hundreds of genetic health and traits test results provided in Embark's products, while also creating research-ready data for use by canine health organizations and scientists. Embark's methods exceed industry quality control standards by also checking the breed, sex, and relatives of every sample to ensure DNA samples are correctly labeled 
and unique identity is recorded. In addition to quality control, this helps fraud prevention by ensuring the same dog can't be tested multiple times without Embark knowing. At Embark, they're proud of their world-class canine DNA testing service, and they're committed to continually raising the bar. They're on a mission to provide breeders and all dog owners with the high level of accuracy they need to optimize their breeding programs, manage the lifetime care of their dogs, and improve the health of future generations of dogs. Haven't used Embark yet? Get your first Embark for Breeders dog DNA test for $99 right now. You use the code TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. That's TRYEMBARK99 at EmbarkVet.com backslash breeders. Lots of no's. And I think that I want to pull on that thread a little bit because as you mentioned, disappointment is always there. There's always a red ribbon when you thought you should have had a purple one. There's always going to be, they didn't have the San Antonio show the year I won. Of course they didn't, right? I mean, there's always going to be that. And it's the specificness of the dog show community, the ability to be able to get along with lots of different people. That is a learned behavior. Cameron, you want to take that one? The dog show world is such a diverse culture. Like, really, it's one of the most diverse cultures ever. And there are a stereotypical everything in our dog show world. And it's such a small community. So not only are they just there, but you know everyone. You know everyone's personality. You know their flaws. You know their strengths. Because we spend every weekend together. And we see you multiple times throughout that weekend, even if it is from afar. So learning to really observe people and learn from them, both their strengths and weaknesses, was very easy to do in the dog show world because it's just such an open world and we're all there to see it together. So yeah, for sure, the dog shows were definitive in our acceptance of who we are and how to make ourselves better. Because you can win one day in juniors and know you didn't deserve to win. And you still have to go and play with your friends later that day or take the 15 dogs out and get the side eyes from all your junior friends. And that's also very hard. There were more times that I could count that I didn't feel like I deserved to win. But then there were also more times that I can count that I felt like I really deserved to win and that person didn't. And so politics was learned very early on. Politics plays a huge game in any world that you're in. And it is so transparent in the dog show world because it is about being seen, being out there, being present, and winning all the time. If you're out there 50 times and you win 38 of them, you're definitely going to be seen more than the person who's been out there 12 times and win all 12. So, I mean, it definitely is the game and you could see it playing out very easily. And then take that and apply it to your job now and your, and your career path. Yeah, I mean, very similarly, the bike industry is full of A-type personalities. Generally speaking, the bike industry employees are full of either rejects who couldn't figure it out in the real world or really young kids who are just like trying to figure out what they're doing until they get their real job. 
So you're very much surrounded with people who maybe don't care or maybe just think, you know, oh, we're slanging bike parts. Mm -hmm. But there's the end of the game here, which is that person that you're helping at the end of the line. This is their hobby. All week long, they work so that on the weekend they can go ride their bicycle. And it sounds silly, but if you put it into terms like that, you understand that the job that we're given is important, no matter what that job is. If you're the kennel help that day, or if you're the one on the side of the ring that needs to be watching the handler for needing a spray bottle or needing a rag, you've got to be there. You can't be distracted. You can't be thinking this job's not important. That's the most important job, and you were given it. So, I mean, just understanding that it doesn't matter what the task is at hand. Do it better than anyone else around you, because then you won't, A, have to do it again, and B, you've learned and can achieve something better after that. And so it very much became clear that no matter what you're doing, if you're going to show this dog, study the ring, study the judge, study the game, and play it. Don't just go in half-ass and try to see what you can do. That's never really going to work, and it's never been an option for either of us. In the dog show world, we have a saying that's called raised right. You two were raised right. <laughs> Our mom has done a great job. She's an incredible person. <laughs> your mom did a great job. I'm not going to argue. So talk to us about your mentors, your people that outside of your mom, the handlers you work for, who were your people in dogs that helped you learn this work ethic? I'm going to give Carly that one because I think she had more influencers in the dog show world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean... I think starting from a young age, my mom saw early on, I was about 10, Cameron was about five when we became interested in showing. And my mom was like, okay, well, if you're interested in this, then we should go in, we should go in all the way and you should do it the right way. And I think she helped us set out to meet the right people or as much as she could. She knew nothing really about dog shows either at that point when we got started. And I think one of the first people that I met was Pam Sage. You know, I worked for her for a number of years and she taught me so much. I was young. Mm -hmm. Man, I was under 14. I probably was working for her when I was 12 to 14, I want to say. Me too. Same age range with Pam. Right. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah. And so Pam and Al, of course, and Diane was their assistant at the time. They created a family for us. It was an easy transition, but we learned all of the basics. We had Goldens, so it made right. sense. Pam showed a lot of Goldens. We had Doozer at the time, which was a fun dog for me to get to know and to see her win every weekend. And that was super fun. And then I had my breeder people, too, that were really influential to me. Marilee Goodnight, who was a breeder that we actually got a lot of dogs with. My first dog that I co-owned, Trina, was one of her dogs. And she meant so much to me as well. We were close in distance, so it was easy for us to go to her house and me to learn grooming dogs. Like, I learned a lot about grooming from her, mm -hmm. and that started really young. That started, you know, at 10, I'd say, 11. And then on from there, you know, I worked for Pam Lambie, which was an amazing experience. I got to travel the country with her. Mm -hmm. I lived with her in Escondido when she was in Southern California, and that took it to the next level for me because I was able to see handling at a higher level. I was able to see the traveling all over the place, although I did a lot with Pam and going to the garden. But with Pam, it was, I lived with her. It was 
full time. Every weekend we were traveling somewhere. Right. And I was at the peak of my junior's career at that point too. You know, when I was leading up to my last final year in juniors and I got my last junior's dog from Sylvia Donahue, another great golden breeder and Bill Feeney. And that was an amazing experience. And I got to travel the country and learn what it was like to compete at such a high level and learn everything there was to learn about. And I didn't learn it all, obviously. Right. But like, I started to take a little crack at it. But being able to have Houston and compete in a ring that I felt like with my dogs that I had growing up when I was younger, none of them we specialed. And so I got Houston and he was an accomplished special. Lori Jordan had him and I got him when he was retired and he just made the world of its difference in my junior's career. So yeah, I mean, those have been people, there's been a ton of others. I even had a little stint with Andy Linton and Val Noons Atkinson and even Don and Pat Rogers. That's the connection to all of us in the Northwest, right? (laughs) Almost everyone in the Northwest that came up in the Northwest, somewhere along the way, you ran through the Don and Pat Rogers camp. Totally. (laughs) So here's the final question for each of you guys. Speaking to the juniors out there, the little ones, the big ones, the medium ones, all the ones that are coming up, best advice, what do they do right now that will set them up for success in the future, whether it's in dogs or not. Soak it all up. Soak everything up. The good, the bad, the ugly. Soak it up and reflect on it every night. That's the best thing you could possibly do because everything is a learning experience. And if you're disappointed and jaded, learn why and learn how to avoid that situation next time. And if you're feeling really high on your horse, think about the others in the ring or think about the days that you're not high on your horse. And I mean, just really soak it all in and observe and adapt. I love that. Those are the things I do on a daily basis. And if you don't stop that, you'll never stop growing. I love that. Oh, I did owe that sentiment. And I also add hard work and work ethic and digging your heels in. Nothing is rewarded without hard work and really getting to know your craft, taking on the people that inspire you, setting out to have conversations with those people, learn from those people, see how they do things and take bits and pieces from everybody to create your own self Mm -hmm. and put in the effort, put in the work, learn your craft. That's my biggest thing because it will translate later for you in life. Right. And you guys are both now back with Purebred Dogs. Crazy. Go to a couple dog shows. Yay. Very exciting. It is so crazy. You were out for almost 20 years, both of you, weren't you? Yep. Yep. Unbelievable. We're excited to have you back. Thank you. It's good to be back. That's the thing that I'm going to add. Speaking as someone who was a junior that went away and came back, you never really leave. No. (laughs) No. You don't. Even if you don't do it as a profession or anything else, the love for the dogs and the passion never goes away. It's so true. No. So true. I actually, my entire adult life, 
I have reoccurring dreams that I am still showing in juniors. I do too. And, but I'm an adult and it seems to be okay. I do too. It's like we're showing in this juniors competition and we're all way over 18, but like somehow we're just flying under the radar. Totally. And like, that's probably the most reoccurring dream I have. Mine too. That's so funny. <laughs> I didn't know that because I dream about that. And then I'm like, oh, no, someone's going to find out yeah. that I'm over 18. Yes. We have the same dream, apparently. That's hysterical. I can't say I ever dreamed that. So I'm impressed. Crazy. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, ladies, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. I appreciate your honesty and your candor and your passion. Thank yes. you. Laura. Thank you. As always, if you have any questions or input, we'd love to hear from you. The show notes and links to resources on today's topic are available at puredogtalk.com. Drop us a note in the comments or email to laura at puredogtalk.com. Remember, guys, this podcast is for you. So if you want to know something, give me a holler. We'll do a podcast for you. If you wouldn't mind, you could help me out here. Take a couple minutes to visit iTunes and give us a review. The Dog Show Superintendents Association is a proud supporter of Pure Dog Talk. Our Dog Show Superintendents are the hardworking people who make the dog show function. They are advocates for education and mentorship in the purebred dog fancy. So stop by the Supers Desk at your next show. Tell them how much you love Pure Dog Talk and give them a shout out for their support. That's all for today. Thank you for joining us on Pure Dog Talk. 